Fitness for the Fairways podcast, helping you make your body the best club in your bag. Joe interviews the best strength coaches, physical therapists, and golf professionals to help you take your golf performance to the next level. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Fitness for the Fairways podcast. I am your host, Joe Gambino. I am a physical therapist and a strength and conditioning coach in the Raleigh, North Carolina area. And you guys can always connect with me via social media at Joe Gambino DPT or at Par4 Performance, most active on Instagram. Um, so you can connect with me there. We also have the Facebook group. Um, you can search for that in the groups section on Facebook, Fitness for the Fairways. And you guys could uh, come jump on in the community there. But this week's episode is uh, I think it was a great episode. We had Adam Koloff on the show. It's the second time here. He is a a great um, golf coach in um, the Boston area. And the advice that he gives on this podcast, we talk a lot about the short game and strategies that he can utilize to be better from a course management perspective and you know a technical um, perspective. And I had use some of the advice the last round that I played and I played really really well I only played nine I shot a 47 um on on the the nine nine uh, holes that I played and I was really tempted to go play a full 18 um I couldn't because I was in a time crunch but I think I would have broke 100 that day with the way I was playing and a lot of it was attributed to some of the approach game um techniques that he was talking about on this podcast which I, you know, took those thoughts into into mind when I was playing, and it made a huge, huge difference. Um, you know, when I'm between like that thirty to seventy, eighty yards out. So, um, I think this is a great episode. I think you guys are going to get a ton from this episode. So, without further ado, we're just going to jump right into it. Today, I'm here with Adam Koloff, the New England PGA Teacher of the Year and the owner of Pure Drive Golf in Woburn, Massachusetts. Dude, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Joe. Pleasure to be on the show again. Good to talk to you. Yeah. Why don't you uh, start off and remind the listeners who you are, how you got into golf, and anything else you want them to know about you? Sure. So uh, right now, I'm the owner of Pure Drive Golf. We're an indoor training facility uh, outside Boston. Uh, I opened Pure Drive in 2018. Before that, I worked for Jim McLean at Liberty National, at Doral in Miami. Um, so, and then before that, I was teaching up in the Boston area. Prior to that, I played a little bit professionally. And then prior to that in college and as a junior. And so I got into the game mostly because my, my father was a, a golfer. Um, so I just started golfing with him and got into it, got really good real quick. And I think that was what was most fun for me. Um, just seeing my scores come down, my handicap coming down. And then I started to compete and I had some success early on as a competitor. And I think that that really got me hooked. And I, I loved, uh, competing in the game. I thought it was a lot different than just playing for fun. Um, so I always, you know, that kind of drew me into the game. And then after college, I didn't make it as far as I wanted as a player. So I decided to start teaching and I got a lot of enjo- enjoyment from teaching. And so that's where it started. That's where my teaching career started. Yeah, that's awesome. And I feel like that's like the the pathway, right? Like even for me, like it started 
just working out, you know, and I got a lot of enjoyment from it and, and the effects that it had on my body and my confidence levels and things like that were amazing. And then eventually I was like, you know, like this would be fun to start to teach. Um, and that's what kind of got me into fitness and then eventually physical therapy and kind of how I, I go about things. And I just think that if you, if you start something and have enjoyment from it and, yeah, I guess if you start to succeed in a little bit, right, then it starts to, to you know, make you start to think about it as a career choice. Yeah. Yeah. I, I went into a deep study, I'm sure like you, and it was, it was kind of a, for personal uh, reasons. Like I wanted to get better as a player and I wanted to improve my game. So I was reading everything, studying everything to get better. And but little did I know that that was going to be a good foundation for my knowledge as a teacher. And, you know, good players don't really know as much. And that's a good thing. When you start learning a lot about the swing and different aspects of the game, it's good for knowledge. But sometimes, you know, it's not the best to learn, you know, that stuff as a player. There's a point where it's almost going to hurt you if you know too much. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I was, when I, when I studied the game, that's, that really helped build the foundation for, for becoming a teacher. Yeah, no, it's, it's the same, it's the exact same way for me. I realized, um, pretty quickly that I was, you know, I was a computer science major at the time I started working out and I just realized I was spending more time learning about anatomy, nutrition, asking people, you know, their advice, you know, there's people that I, that I met and knew in the gym and, and that quickly turned into me wanting to go out and, and start to study it. It was just like, it's like, why am I spending more time on this than this? And then also I took a coding class, which I absolutely hated, uh, just because it's just so tedious. And if you make one small mistake, it ruins everything. And it was like impossible to find my mistakes. And I was like, screw this. I'm enjoying this aspect of my life. Let me just start going in this direction. And, and I, and I, no, it was a it was a great decision, and I'm, and I'm really not looking back on it. And, and you know, it's been a, I think it's been an amazing journey so far for me, and I and I, and I found what I love. So, yeah, that's but, what it's all about. Yeah. Exactly. But I know it's been a while since you've been back on the podcast, so uh, it's probably been about a year or so. So I, I want to know what your biggest takeaway we could call it a, a you know with from 2021 was one of the biggest takeaways or things that you learned in in, um, in 2021. Well, golf is booming right now. And I know that as a business owner, I've seen such growth in the game. Um, I think we're doing great things at Pure Drive, and we've been growing slowly every year because of that. But right after the pandemic, I mean, we're still in the pandemic, but the winter after the beginning of the pandemic, uh, everybody's in masks at my facility. You know, we still got to be safe, but we were jamming. And we still are. And so I've seen, I'm seeing a lot of new golfers come into the game. I see students come in and they tell me that they're just starting up again. They played a few times, you know, um, years ago, but the pandemic, because their work shut down, they were starting to play a lot more. And then they got hooked. And now they're taking lessons. They want to get better. They're practicing more. So Golf is in a really good place and it's growing rapidly and it's really cool. Um, I think that growth rate might kind of settle down a little bit, but I think the people that got into the game are going to stay in the game. I don't think it's going to drop off. So I just think golf's in a really good place right now. Yeah, I know. And I mean, I think that the pandemic has kind of, uh, 
catapulted even me playing, you know, a ton more, you know, prior to the pandemic. I mean, I, you know, maybe played a handful of times a year if I was lucky. And, you know, I was trying to, to get as much as I could, but I was busy um, and it never really was a priority. And then uh, when when everything shut down, I, was, I, w- I didn't work for six weeks. Um, and then when I was, you know, I still had capacity to go out and play. So I, w- I think I played like 25 rounds. Um, what was that? 20 in 2020, right? When the pandemic hit and I was like, wow, this is amazing. It's fun. And, you know, I started getting better and, and that kind of, um, kept through until now where I've been playing North of like 15 rounds each year now, which in the past I was lucky to get, you know, five. So, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm hooked, you know, and the handicap's coming down and my, and my game is getting into a pretty decent place. And I don't think there's any stop for me from playing now. <laughs> are, is the course as busy where you are? Because it's hard to get a tee time in, in, around here in Boston. Is that similar to where you are? It, it depends on the course. Um, there are some courses that are, are busy, but there are actually some courses where they're, I guess, just not as popular. And they're just, you know, there's one course here, um, Raleigh Golf Association. It's not like the nicest course I've played, but it's eight minutes from where I live. And I can get a tee time there anytime I want. I could probably just walk on if I wanted to. Like, I think I played there last week and I was like, oh, I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to play. And I literally made the tee time 20 minutes before I went to the course. Um, so there you can, I can play, there's a couple courses around here that I could just pretty much get a tee time anytime I wanted. And, um, there are a few courses that are busy, but it, it was like that in New York, New York was, you know, I th- just think it's because I don't think there's as many golf courses and there's just more people. Um, and anytime I wanted to play golf in New York, it was, it was, you know, the rounds were just significantly longer. You were, you were constantly waiting here. I think I played probably like 70% of my rounds solo by myself with, with nobody joining me. Wow. Yeah, that's just, amazing. Yeah, I know. <laughs> that's awesome. It's, it doesn't matter where, I mean, if you can get out and just get on a course and just hit shots, it's fun. In the Boston area, you can't even get a tee time. It's crazy. You got to book weeks in advance. Wow. I know some of my players tell me that when, like, if tee times open up on Sunday night, at 12 o'clock people will stay up till 12 o'clock midnight and try to book a tea time as soon as it's opened up online and the first you know the morning tea times from the first tea time up until like 11 o'clock or 12 o'clock those are going to fill up within a few minutes it's crazy it's uh it's really cool but unfortunately it's just tough to play uh on a course um, it's, it's, people are playing a lot. It's just, it's not as easy. It's not as accessible because it's so busy, but that's a good thing. And yeah. there are slow times. If you play during the week, if you play, you know, late afternoons or, you know, early morning, you can get out there during the week, but weekends, totally different mm-hmm. story. Yeah. I usually play on the weekdays. So I haven't, I haven't really tried a weekend round in, in quite a while. And the only time I played on a weekend was at a private course, um, over here so that you know that's obviously not going to be nearly as busy um but i also think here i mean like i'm still able to play into january you know where it's almost like a year-round thing you know we have cold days you can't play nearly as much right now but you can still get out and play golf so i guess that the fact that you could play almost throughout the year where in new york and you know massachusetts in the new england area northeast you, you I think you, when you know you only have yeah. like a three-month window to play golf and then outside that it's going to be pretty rare that you're going to get in as much as possible Yes, that is a good point. Yeah, we we usually stop around October, like mid to late October. 
and then November, you know, you might get the occasional 50 degree day. Um, people get out December, not really January. Nope. February. Nope. Maybe March, you get in a couple rounds. April, you start playing again, but it's so rainy and wet that people don't really want to play as much. So like May through September, that's usually like the busiest time, like mo- most. Yeah, it's, it's, I would say it's the same here, but, you know, I think the, the luxury of being down south, you know, with, you know, I think today it's 54. We had a uh, 64 degrees yesterday, went out for a hike. Um, it's very different than uh, being in New York. It's, that's one of the reasons why we came down south. <laughs> that's cool. Yeah, that's awesome. But let's uh, let's go. I, I want to talk a little bit about the short game. I haven't really ha- talked about, or ha- I think only one episode out of all of them so far had even uh, revolved around the short game. So I want to know, especially with the new golfers that you're getting, what strategies are you using to to teach um, the golfers that are coming in uh, so that they could have success with that part of the game? Uh, so it depends on the player, but let's just take your average player uh, hasn't really took much lessons. Um, what I try to teach them is just two basic shots around the greens. And there's definitely some nuances uh, that I can talk about, but the two basic shots, I call them a low shot and a mid shot. Some people can think of them as a chip shot and a pitch shot. Uh, But basically the chip is producing that low shot. The pitch is producing that mid trajectory shot. So let's take the chip shot first. You want to set up in a certain way that will produce a lower shot, but you're also selecting a club that has less loft. So a couple of things you would do in your setup would be playing the ball back in your stance. You can lean your weight a little bit forward. Uh, You can move your chest a little bit ahead of the ball. And that's going to automatically flight the ball a little bit lower, lower, no matter what club you use. And so people assume on a chip shot, you have to use like a eight iron nine iron maybe a pitching wedge but you can use any club you want from that position so what i try to tell my players is that this is for any club you want just learn how to learn that setup learn that technique and then you can vary the clubs depending on the trajectory but generally that trajectory is going to be lower and the ball is going to run out further so that's the low shot or the chip shot the pitch shot is a higher trajectory relative to the low shot. And this is where you're going to set up differently. You're going to play the ball more middle. Uh, your weight's going to be more 50-50. Your chest is going to be over the ball. Shaft's going to be neutral. You're not going to have your hands too far ahead of it. Now, this shot's going to deliver more loft on the club, and the ball's going to jump up a little higher. You don't have to hit a 56-degree wedge. But that's normally what players use for a pitch. You can use a 60, you can use a 52, you can use any club you want. But the point is this setup, that technique is going to help you flight the ball a little bit higher and it's going to carry a little bit further and it's not going to roll out as much. So I, I help my players learn those two shots. And then we talk about clubs that they could use um, that they will have the best success with those different shots those two shots. So for most players, like a pitching wedge or a nine iron is generally pretty good for that chip. And then for the pitch, 
something like a 56 or a 60 degree wedge. Generally those clubs and, and I have them really learn those two types of shots. Interesting. And I was going to ask that, uh, specifically as far as, uh, you know, what kind of, sh- um, go-to shots you someone have around the greens. And I finally had, um, uh, a lesson on chipping. And so I really, the low shot is the only one that I kind of really have in my bag and it's, it started to get good. And I've actually found that, and I just think it's because I use the 56 mostly that I have, uh, that club actually the last few times I've been going out has been like really good for me. If I use a 60, I'm almost always short. I just think that it doesn't end up having enough roll for me. And, and if I have like a really long runway, I will try something like a nine iron, but I always almost find that I end up on the backside of the green when I try that. So I, I try, uh, I still practice it because I feel like I, I kind of need to get a, a feel for those things. But yeah, now that I actually kind of have some good contact points, it's in- interesting to see because I was almost always with how my, my short game was just the contacts were poor and they were just kind of like blade, I pretty much blade everything and they would just go flying everywhere. So interesting to see how the ball interacts once you kind of actually make a contact and have a pretty decent stroke at it. Right. So let's say you're going to practice on the course or at a driving range or wherever. What I would recommend you do is just practice clean contact. Mm -hmm. Figure out how to set up and figure out a basic technique where you make clean contact with the ball. Only until then can you start thinking about controlling distance and just hitting different shots. So because if you go to the course and you've bladed your first two shots, the next shot, you're probably going to decelerate and come up way short if you hit it clean because you're going to react to those first two shots. But if you learn to clip it clean and you're hitting it more solid because of that, then you're going to start to develop, develop better feel and you'll, your distance control is going to get a lot better, plus your confidence. Yeah, no, I, I would agree with that 100%. Only based off my last two rounds where I've actually been stri- like striking, like I, I've actually noticed a huge difference with my chipping um, where the contacts are actually coming off like pretty smooth. And I was like, um, and now I'm watching how the ball is landing. And it's uh, interesting, like I said, it's interesting to see the difference because the ball reacts so much differently when you hit it clean versus if you're hitting it you know, like if where I was blading it is just kind of rolling wherever it went. And, uh, so it's, like I said, you know, it's, it's actually allowed me to, you know, my short game, I think, uh, cause I use Arco. So I get the, the strokes gained analysis and I'm actually now like, I compare everything to 20 handicap cause that's where my goal is now. And I'm actually, uh, three strokes better than a two handicap, um, with my short game now, which probably a month ago, I think I was probably like five shots worse than uh, than a twenty handicap. So it's improved a, a ton over a pretty short period of time. That's good. Yeah, it's low hanging fruit for a lot of players. If they improve their short game. It really yeah, was. <laughs> if you're hitting like two chips on any hole, that's bad. <laughs> so you have to hit. If you're going to chip, you have to hit one chip, one pitch. If you're hitting you're hitting a chip off the green, you're chipping again. Your short game's not good. Yeah, that's exactly where <laughs> you got to get better. The the so, spots where I struggle the most now is if I have like if I'm on like the bottom of a hill that's like relatively tall. I still don't know, you know, the because I don't have like I haven't really practiced a lot like mid or high trajectory shots, so I'm not confident in like am I going to clear this? I try to like open the club face a little bit and. 
that you know hit or miss when it when it comes to that yeah so that shot right there that's a tough one for amateurs because you need a if you take a club with more loft you need a bigger swing and so when players start making a bigger swing that's where they kind of freak out because if they hit a blade or if they blade it the ball is going like 30 yards over the green so but like I said, what you got to learn to do is practice hitting the ball clean and learn just how to pick it clean, get confidence with that. And now you're going to have a little more confidence if you're in that collection area, that low area around the greens. If you can't, if you're still struggling, you could take like a nine iron and just bump and run up that slope. Um, but if you're in rough and you can't run it up, you really got to learn that shot. You got to learn how to take a bigger backswing with more loft. Yeah. And I would say that's probably true for just about any golf shot um, that you could take, right? Learning context first uh, will make a huge difference. And then uh, because, you know, I think whenever you're you're struggling with contact for any sort of shot, I think it changes the way that you're going to, you're going to go about it in, in situations where you know that like, you know, obviously and any and any part of the approach game, you know, if you're not confident in your shot or you're compensating for a miss that you're you're constantly making, you know, you're going to change the way that you're going about things. Yes, exactly. But yeah. I, I'm curious from a, like a course management perspective. So say you, you have those two shots in your bag already and you're stepping up to your shot and, and you're looking at the green, what types of things should uh, be going through someone's mind? So what you need to do is visualize where you're going to try to land the ball. And you also want to figure out where you want to putt from. So if you can figure out those two things, when you hit a chip or a pitch, you're going to have a better, you're going to build a better strategy. So let's take a basic pitch shot. Let's say you're hitting a 56 degree wedge. You're hitting that mid height pitch, relatively flat lie. And let's say the, the pin is in the middle of the green. You want to start visualizing roughly 75% of the distance to the flag. So that's where your landing zone is. And you have to hit it clean, obviously. And if you do hit it clean and you hit your landing zone, that's all you can control. And that's all you want to focus on. Don't try to like aim for the flag stick and just sort of guess how hard you need to hit it. Pick a landing zone. Imagine like there's a bucket or like a circle that you're trying to land the ball in. So focus on your landing zone. So for a pitch shot, roughly 75% of the distance is where you're going to try to carry the ball. For a chip shot, that's going to change. You want to aim for roughly a quarter of the distance to the cup. So visualize that spot, that landing zone. Pick a club that's going to get you to that spot and just let the let the ball roll out okay let let the the shot take care of the run out um but really focus in on where you're trying to land the ball and if you hit those landing spots that's going to have you finished near the cup you obviously got to avoid finishing on the high side of the cup so what i mean by the high side is if the green is sloped back to front you want to avoid, let's say you're on the front of the green, hitting it past the cup, leaving yourself a downhill putt. So that's that's a huge bogey. 
because you know a downhill putt is is more difficult to make, especially if it's a breaking downhill putt. They break a lot more than uphill breaking putts. So back to your strategy, you're going to think about where you want to end up. Maybe it's you know in front of the cup if it's a back to front slope. Choose a landing zone that's going to get you roughly to that area uh, relative to the cup. So those are just some ideas that players can start to use uh, to build better strategy on those shots. Interesting. And I'm kind of curious if uh, for a, a decent golfer, what is usually the distance from the pin on these, on uh, like chip shots? Uh, like how far would you, should you expect yourself to be out from the hole? Uh, pitch shots can be anywhere from 10 yards up to 30 yards. Um, usually outside 30 yards, that's, you know, you're, you're hitting more of like a mini version of a full shot. Uh, so the technique starts to get a little bit different. You're hitting more down on the ball, compressing it, taking a little bit of a divot, but the pitch shots are inside about 30 yards. So, yeah. Uh, I actually will go to that in, in a, in a second. Cause I'm curious about that. But, uh, my question really was, um, do you know what the averages are? Like if you were to chip from wherever around the green, uh, what is kind of like the average distance from the hole that someone usually ends up? Oh, um, you're saying like for the average golfer, yeah. how far, how close are they getting to the cup? Yeah, pretty much. So gosh, I mean, it could be, it could vary for a lot of players. I mean, you and I were just talking about making sure that you're hitting one chip instead of two chips. So some players can't even keep it on the green. Obviously well, well, it, why it. don't we, uh, why don't we call it, you know, what it would be maybe like the ideal. I mean, obviously I'm sure the ideal will be like as close to the hole as possible, but if you can get it within five feet, that's good. Okay. I think good players are trying to get it within a, a couple feet. Uh, so I think inside five feet is good. Uh, most players, they get a little bit frustrated if they don't get it like within gimme range. And so gimme range, you know, that means that you're going to make it, people are going to give you that putt, but I would say exp- inside five feet, that's pretty good. Okay. Yeah. That's what I was asking. Cause I, I, I'm huge. Like, I think a, a huge part of things should be expectations. Um, and I know everyone's expectations is when you're chipping it, right. You're going to leave it like, you know, it's like a tap in putt or it's going to go in the hole. And then when you're five, you know, five feet out or 10 feet out or even more than that, right? Like there's extreme frustration that follows it for a lot of people. And, you know, that's where I'm always trying to figure out like, what should I expect from my game? Obviously I know where my game is because I track a lot of things. Um, so if I'm seeing an improvement in that, you know, that's what I'm kind of looking for. Um, but I think it's, it's kind of always good to know, okay, like, you know, if you're not, you know, like a single digit handicap, right. Maybe you're not, you shouldn't expect that you're going to be, you know, two, three feet out every time you chip. No, definitely not. Yeah. People get too frustrated. You got to manage your expectations. So if you can give yourself a good chance to make the next putt, I think you've hit a good shot. Gotcha. And so I did want to kind of go to the to the approach game a little bit more and, and you know, where I find that I <clears throat> pretty much struggle a decent amount is that like 30 to 50 yard shot because it um, it doesn't feel like it's like a normal shot and it's definitely not like a chip shot and, and distance control becomes uh, comes an issue for me. What kind of uh, strategies do you, do you tell your golfers uh, when it comes to those types of shots? 
Right. So for that type of shot, your technique gets a little bit different because it's a, a bigger swing. And now you're going to be compressing the ball. You're going to be hitting a little more down on the ball. And because the club has more speed, you're going to start to take more of a divot. And now because of that, hitting the ball first is super important. And so you're going to be setting up to the ball and swinging in a way that guarantees ball first contact. So for players, usually playing the ball a little bit back in their stance can help. Setting the weight a little bit in their left side can help. And then that, so those two things are going to help you produce ball first contact. Now from there, you got to learn how to control your backswing leg. So that's the easiest thing to start focusing on if you're going to try to control distance. So think about how far back your hands go. Don't worry about the club. Too many players think about taking the club back to a certain spot. I would focus on how far your hands go. You can even look at your left arm like it's a hand on a clock. So nine o'clock is where that left arm is parallel to the ground. That you you'd want to learn how far that shot goes. And you can use that as a baseline that you can build from. Um, so what I would do is just learn how to set up that helps you produce ball first contact. Like I said, playing the ball a little back or weight more forward. That's generally what players do. And then learn how to control your swing and really dial in that that length of backswing. Um, especially that three-quarter backswing where that left arm is is at that nine o'clock position. And just work on that distance. With, with my 56-degree wedge, if I'm taking the club back at that nine o'clock position, that's roughly giving me like 60 yards. If I do it with a 60, it's going to produce like a 50-yard shot. So when I go play, I have that in mind. So if I'm close to that distance on the course, I can refer to those shots. So if I'm 40 yards, for example, what I could do is just pull a 60 and just try to dial that swing length a little bit less than that left arm parallel position. Or let's say I'm 70 yards. What I can do is take my 56 and just swing up a little bit higher above that three quarter position. Um, so that's, those are just some strategies for that type of shot outside that, that 30 yard distance. I like that. And I don't think I really paid attention to how, where my hands were in space. And I, and I think I, I did it from the club, but from the club, but I do feel, I mean, I feel like you have better awareness of where your body is as opposed to where, you know, something in your hand would be. So I think it makes sense to, to, to figure out where your arms or where your, your hands are going to be and using that as a, um, that's kind of like a measurement as as far as where you should be going and what that reaction to the ball is like. Right. Cause, cause you could see where your hands are much better than the club. If you take your hands back, uh, let's say your, your hand or your left arms at that three quarter position, you can still see your hands in your, uh, peripheral vision barely, but you could still see your hands. You have no idea where the club is. The club's hinged up way behind you. You can't tell where the club is, but you can tell where your hands are. So if you can learn how to control how far back your hand, it's a lot easier 
to to use that as your gauge than it is the club. Gotcha. And when you're taking the shots, as far as um, you know, I feel like they're it's just you're changing the 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 you know how big of a swing that you're taking. <laughs> um, but what about the hips? Are you still kind of getting the hips involved, or are they staying more quiet like they are in like a pitcher or chip shot? Uh, you're, you are using your hips. I would, what I recommend is setting a little bit of weight, your weight to your left side and then stabilizing your weight in your left side. So that's one variable that you're taking away in the full swing. You're shifting into the ball. That's a variable. But with the, this shot we're talking about, let's eliminate that, which we're going to preset weight in the left side. Now on the way back, you're controlling how far you're taking the club back. You're going to try to hit your spot, whether it's at left arm parallel or a little short of it or a little bit further back. From there, you're making a turn. As you make that turn, you're not so much focused on the hips, although that's okay. What I would recommend is you're focusing on your upper body rotation. And so you're focusing on your chest opening up to the target. And then the hips are playing more supportive role rather than actively turning. So it comes down to like a sequence of movement. So in the full swing, the sequence would start from the lower body and that would transfer up to the upper body. That's a powerful sequence. So you'd be using that sequence when you're trying to make a full swing. But when you start getting closer to the green and you start hitting these short game shots, it's not about power. It's about finesse. So <laughs> your lower body is going to move. Like I said, it's going to rotate, but you're not, it's just playing a supportive role. It's just supporting the rotation of your upper body. And so if, if that, that's what I would recommend uh, on the downswing, really focusing on how to turn your upper body. It's a lot easier. I think. Yeah. That's uh, I think that's, I, I mean, I'm trying to figure out where it is because I find that uh, with my wedge shots, when I'm, I just find in general that I end up, um, there's a lot of chunking that happens when I come to my wedges. So anytime I'm usually within that, if I actually, it happens a lot when I have a full swing and it also happens a lot when I'm like 60, 30 yards out where I end up just like, you know, it's all dirt and not enough ball and then the ball goes like 20 yards and I have to do it again and then it usually takes me two and there's been times where it takes you like four shots just to, to hit a clean to the green so um, that's where I was trying to figure out that's a shot that I haven't had any le- specific lesson on and trying to figure out where um, you know I could be going wrong with that type of shot so what I would say on that shot look for two things when players chunk it I'd look for these two things one is if your head's going towards the golf ball that is a sure way to chunk the ball because when your head goes towards the ball, you're closer to the ball, but you're also closer to the ground. And so even if you shift and you have some lag, but your head moves closer, you're going to hit the ground first. So you're going to start to learn how to pull your head up to react, to compensate, but then it gets real messy. Then you're hitting thin shots. So it, it, it you get that cycle of fat to thin. So what I would do is get near a wall and just work on turning your shoulders and keep your head from hitting the wall. See if you can do that. You'll be surprised if, if you're the guy that chunks it, you might get your head hitting that wall. 
And so I always recommend a drill where you're wearing a cap and the brim of your cap is right on the wall or just a little bit off of it and just use the wall as feedback and make some swings and get the feel for the head staying still. That's going to help make clean contact. The other thing is if players are setting up like they are with a driver or a long iron or, or, or wood where that right shoulder gets too low. So I see this all the time. Players with a driver, they've learned how to tilt their shoulders and that right shoulder gets low. And what happens, they get that position with all their clubs. So with a wedge, if my right shoulder is lower, even if I do good things and I have my my rotation, my hands are getting ahead, but my right shoulder gets down too low, I'm going to hit the ground. So I always have my players focus on leveling the shoulders. And you can do this with your hands in front of you in a tall position and then lower the club down. So your right shoulder has got to feel a lot higher, but it's actually going to get level. Your shoulder shoulder is going to get more level. And now it's going to prevent the club hitting the ground. Even if you release a little bit early, keeping that right shoulder a little bit higher really helps you um, prevent those fat shots. Uh, you know, it's interesting you say that because I do know that, um, and it's not as, uh, it's definitely better now for me, but my head does tend to move forward towards the ball, uh, especially if my, you know, if we were looking at my last season um, shot into this season, it was it was way more, but I, I'm sure there's still at times where, where that happens and maybe that's why I end up chunking. I don't know, I'd have to go back out for a lesson and get some uh, video analysis and, and check that out to, to be certain. You probably shank it every once in a while too. Oh yeah, absolutely. Is that right? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> well, if your head goes forward, you're closer to the ground, but the they heel of the club's also closer to the ball. So that's what I see. When, when the head goes forward, you're going to do one of two things. You're either going to shank it or you're going to hit behind it. And when you start hitting drivers, you hit it on the heel. You can't shank a driver. You'll hit it on the heel and it will go nowhere. You'll get these weak fades slash slices. Um, so it's just something to watch. If 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 your head's going forward, it can it can cause a lot of issues. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'll keep that in mind. I'll video a couple swings and take a peek to see if I'm doing it. <clears throat> uh, but I, I definitely do know in the past it, it happened a lot, and um, I think it's cleaned up some. But I'm sure I still revert back to old patterns still. But uh, let's talk about um, – I, w- I do want to talk a little bit more about approach shots and kind of figuring out how to – and I, I would imagine that a lot of it has to do with knowing your distances, um, but trying to hit more greens and regulations, what kind of, uh, what kind of strategies do you uh, implement for that? Uh, what I would say is to learn a shot shape, uh, dial in your swing uh, enough so you know – where the ball is going to curve uh, generally on a consistent basis. So if you're a draw type player, for example, use that and play your shots according to that shot, uh, that ball flight. So if the pins in the middle of the green, aim a little bit right of the pin. If you're a fade type player, accept it and aim a little left of the pin. If you are a righty. So playing your learning a shot shape, developing a swing that curves the ball in somewhat a consistent way is the first step. And then 
playing that shot shape and aiming according to that shot shape. It's such a basic thing, but if if golfers really committed to that concept, they're going to hit more greens. And then the other thing is learning the short side and the long side of the pin and understand what that means. So the short side of the pin is where there's less green between the, the edge and the flag stick. The long side of the pin is where there is more green between the pin and the edge of the green. So let's say the pin's on the left side. It's closer to the left edge of the green. The short side is on the left side of the pin. You need to avoid the short side. So you need to aim a little bit more towards the long side. If you do that, you'll maximize your chance of hitting the green. And let's say you miss on the right side of the green, but you're still on the long side of the pin, you have a much easier chip shot. If you miss on the short side, if you miss the green on the short side of the pin, you have a more difficult chip or pitch. Now you're going to struggle getting up and down. Let's also take a scenario where the pin is in the back and it's in the center. The short side is behind the flag and the, the um, long side is in front of the flag. So a common mistake is to laser the flag and let's say the flag's 150. There, don't automatically go with that 150 club because let's say you hit it a little bit too far. Now you're going to go over the green. Now you're short-sided. So you should change the distance now that you're going to hit to, and that could be 145. That's going to keep you on the long side of the pin, and that's going to maximize your chance of hitting the green. So these are just little course management strategies that can help, and um, it's going to help you hit the green. You need to get on the green if you're going to lower your scores. Mm-hmm. No, that's uh, that's that's interesting. And one thing that I've been doing that's actually helped me um, hit more greens and regulations is I actually been uh, clubbing up. So because I always end up probably relatively short, and this is uh, <coughs> John Sherman uh, put this advice on the podcast where he said most people, if you look at um, their dispersion patterns, they all miss short. So if you club up, the chances are you'll hit more greens. And I've actually tried that, and it it, it improved. Probably double the amount of greens that I hit in a round just by doing that. But uh, you know, I saw, there's I still I'm very rarely long, but there are now times where if I flush it, you know, I'll end up on the long. You know, I'll end up going over the green. But you know, sometimes it puts me in a bad position. Sometimes it doesn't matter um, that I do that. Uh, but it's uh, that's something that I, I haven't gotten to the point because I don't know if I hit enough greens or regulations to start to pay attention to that. But I definitely don't pay attention to long side versus short side, and, and where I, sh- I usually just aim for the middle of the green. Yeah. No, I think that's generally good. It gives you a good chance of hitting the green. But back to your point of taking more club, I agree that might be a good thing and help you it will help you hit the green. However, if you're basically telling yourself that you don't need to hit this, you can't hit a good shot. You're basically saying that you if you do hit it well, you're over the green. So what you should do, what you should start to commit to is a club that if you hit it well, it's going to get on the green. So let's say 150 yards, you normally hit a seven iron and you're 150 to the green. Don't just take your six iron and just hope for the best. I, that may help you here and there hit the green, 
Because if you don't hit that six iron well, it's still going to get close to the green. But like I said, you're basically telling yourself not to hit a solid shot. And I would push players to always try to choose a club that will get there only if you hit it good. Because you're really going to be forced to be making better swings and hitting the ball more solid. So, you know, always, always try to, you know, make yourself better. Mm-hmm. No, 100%. All right. Well, I do want to, to switch here before time runs out to the Ask Joe segment. So I want to give you a opportunity to ask me a question about PT, fitness, golf, whatever you want. I think a lot of golfers I work with are asking about things they can do in the winter mm-hmm. or they play. Can you still hear me, Joe? Yep, I got you. Okay. I think my headphones just went out. Um, they ask me what they can do during the winter at home to get ready to keep their body in, in shape. They may not have weights. Um, Maybe they just want to do something like some stretching exercise or maybe it's with resistance bands, but something they can do at home during the winter that just keeps them in shape. Maybe it's just working on some rotation in their thoracic spine or their hips, whatever it is. Is there like a few exercises or is there one exercise that would be really good for people to do maybe on a daily basis or a couple times a week? What do you think? Yeah, so I mean, I'm a I'm a big um, proponent of of movement. So I think that one thing, you know, just from uh, your body feeling better and, and making sure that things are are moving well, especially if you're not going out and get an assessment, is just taking your body through some some movement, and and that could just be some, you know, you have a a pretty short routine that takes you, you know, maybe like 10 minutes of some mobility work that you can do on a daily basis that just helps you. And that could just for golfers, it could be things that help you rotate your hips, rotate your spine, segment your spine. Um, and I would probably also work on some shoulder rotation as well. So it doesn't have to be a ton, but things that, you know, most golfers need from a movement perspective. And then if you don't have weight or equipment at home, there are still plenty of things from a body weight perspective that you can utilize to, you know, get some sort of strength improvements, single leg work, um, pushups, obviously for, for body strength. Uh, if you can find a way to do some pull-ups or some sort of pulling exercise, um, you know, you can do that. And then I would say things just to kind of help you feel athletic. So you can do some, you know, faster running, you know, almost sprint like, and you can do some jumping and things like that to help you kind of maintain some power output. And I think if you do stuff like that with minimal equipment, you can still challenge your body to a certain degree so that you can at least maintain or, you know, slightly improve your strength, um, strength levels, um, throughout the off season. If you're not willing to go to a gym or get some equipment. That's great. Yeah. I think that's really good. I know that when people do stuff like that, they get better faster with the technique. I got this one guy I work with. He's committed to working on stuff like that. And he works with a trainer, uh, Mike Scaduto. Yep. I think you, you probably yeah, know Mike. He's been on the podcast a couple of times. Awesome. So he works at Champion PT. They are real close to us. And he, this guy works on it. He works on his body like three times a week. And actually, I think he does a mobility exercise like five, uh, seven days a week, maybe. Um, and he does some strength stuff like three times a week, but him and I have worked on a lot of different things in his technique. Cause we worked together for like two years. And when he's been doing this, 
on his off time, uh, he's made because of that, he's made such big progress in his technique. Uh, there's there's a lot of things that I recommend people do in lessons, and I know there's certain things players can do and cannot do, but I always try to push them to do the right things. And if they can't do it, we'll, we'll just keep trying to push. And as long as they move in the right direction, um, and they don't if they don't quite look like McElroy at impact, that's fine. But at least I'm pushing them in the right direction. But this guy, he, because he's doing all this work on his fitness, it's amazing the progress he's made. So anyway, the point is, I think if people really take fitness seriously, it's not just going to help you with hitting the ball further or just feeling better. I think people forget the, how helpful it is on improving technique and helping you hit these positions so that your technique gets better. Yeah, no, I mean, obviously, you know, I'm biased because of what I do, but I, I completely agree with you. And when we look at the body, if, if someone comes in and, and say, I don't know if this person had any aches or pains or anything like that, but if you have any sort of achiness, um, stiffness, or pain, it's going to alter the way that you move. Your body's going to avoid trying to be in those positions. I know when my back starts to bother me, um, I have a very, very hard time creating side bend in my swing. So it's going to, it, it actually affects the, my contacts. And then I actually start topping the ball a ton because I just can't physically get into the position because my body is trying to, you know, adjust because it's a painful position for me to be in. So pain is always going to alter the way someone moves. So if you can do something that helps you feel better prior to swinging, you're going to be able to get into positions better. And then if say this person was limited in some sort of mobility that prevents them from getting into a position. So, so maybe that person had really shitty left rotation as a right, as a right-handed golfer, and he can't open up an impact because of it. He's never going to be able to get in an optimal position that you want because he can't physically move into those positions. So I think creating strength, stability, mobility, reducing pain, those things will make your job as a coach uh, much easier. And then you see that on, on your end, like, wow, you know, now this person seeing, you know, significant progress in his swing after making such small progress prior to that. And fitness was the only thing that changed in between there. Right. Yeah. And I'll also say that what I see when I work with golfers is that they avoid positions that are painful or cause tension or a perceived uh, pain or tension. So, and because of that, it's hard to help them with technique. So for example, if somebody can't turn in the backswing, uh, whether it's a tight thoracic spine or hip mobility, okay, well, then that's going to be tough getting them to turn. But it doesn't mean they can't work on it. Um, so if they're tight, they can't turn, but they have to work on it. Now, let's say it makes them, it causes pain in their back. Well, now we got a serious issue, and they got to go see someone like you and, and work on that. But they're obviously not going to turn if it's painful. If they think that they're tight, and they think that they can't turn because they're tight or if it's going to be painful, even though it might not be, that's another reason they're not going to turn. So I just think if, if people can work on their body and improve it and just learn, you know, your physical uh, makeup and, and try to improve on those, those limitations, it just kind of builds some freedom in the movement. It lets you uh, move in certain ways and, 
and um, kind of break through some boundaries that might be, you know, boxing you in in a certain way. So, yeah, yeah, so those uh, are some. A hundred percent. The last thing I'll say on this is that you know apprehension and, and beliefs are are a real thing and, and can um, really affect the way that somebody moves. And, and there are many times, maybe at a, a previous injury, and I see it a lot of times. Like shoulder dislocation is a big one where external rotation is is something that becomes apprehensive um, for just about everybody afterwards. And if you don't train that, um, it stays there years after. And if you have someone who's apprehensive of getting in a position, whether it's rotation of the spine, whether it's moving the shoulder intestine rotation, um, or they're nervous to do it, subconsciously you're you're going to avoid it because your nervous system is going to avoid it because of your your belief of it, and you have a physical apprehension to it. Um, and you may mentally say, "Okay, hey, it's not a big deal. I'm going to move into it." But when you're trying to do something as fast as a golf swing and as ballistic as a golf swing. You know, you, you can't, you know, just mentally turn something on or off and magically change the way that you're moving. You know, your, your subconscious and your nervous system is going to really kind of take over there and it's going to, you're going to default to whatever movement patterns your body feels safe in. Yeah. The, the nervous system will be nervous. <laughs> I never thought of it like that, but yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I, I want to give you the floor. I appreciate you taking time to come on the podcast. So tell the listeners a little bit more about where they could find you, learn from you, anything else you want to throw out there. So you can find me on Instagram. That's where I'm most active. It's a Koloff, a K O L L O F F. Um, I'm, I work at pure drive golf. I own pure drive golf. Uh, you can check us out online, puredrivegolf.com. We're just North of Boston. So if you're in the Boston area, stop by we we offer lessons practice club fitting um so we're a performance facility we help people perform better that's that's what we're all about um so yeah that's that's where you can find me all right all that stuff i'll, I'll get in the show notes and dude thanks again for coming on the show all right joe thank you good talking with you